All right, good morning, good morning. We can start making our way to our seats. Oh, that was nice. Thank you, Dan. Nice little transition. It's great to see everybody this morning. We want to welcome you. For those watching us online, we're glad you can be with us as well. Just have a few announcements before I call Pastor Grady up to introduce um, some new members. We're very excited to celebrate them being a part of our family. First off, today we begin a new journey in First Peter. Woohoo! We're excited. Very excited about our verse-by-verse study. Uh, the church has provided for you these scripture journals that you've seen at the entrances. Uh, we have some back here as well in the hallway. Please, 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 please take one. We did get these for you, um, for you to be able to study as you go through. And there's journal pages on the side to take notes. Uh, Second Peter and Jude is also inside of this. So you just have an opportunity uh, to read it on your own at home and then to take notes. We just provided those for you guys. Also, the church has provided you an opportunity to get the Dwell Bible app. Uh, This is a wonderful app to listen to scripture, to read scripture. Um, There's a link, as you can see on the screen, that you can get it for free. Um, it just has a lot of different options um, and different with music and languages, all different things uh, for you to be even hear some, um, even some unique languages if you want to learn that uh, scripture wise. And then, uh, but we encourage you to listen to First Peter this week. It's just a lot of neat opportunities through that app. Also, parents, July 9th, we have another parents' night out. Uh, the young adult group has done this before for you guys to bless you with childcare, for you to plan a night to be uh, go out on a date and enjoy one another. So that's Saturday, July 9th. At 4 p.m., Saturday, July 9th, 4 p.m., registration begins tomorrow on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. Please register. This fills up quickly. I think last time they had like 50-something kids in there. It's a great opportunity. A lot of parents went out. uh, But how many? Within 24 hours, yeah, 50 kids were signed up. So, um, but that's right. So they do crafts and games and just whole big fun night for many hours. So please, uh, they want you to take advantage of that. They're doing this to bless you as a ministry. Zach and Rachel have been leading this ministry and a lot of the young adult couples and, and individuals. So we're really excited to do that for you again, Saturday, July 9th. Lastly, today is the Discover Gateway class. For those that have been visiting with us, maybe been with us a few weeks, days, months, uh, but you want to hear a little bit more about who we are and our DNA and who we are as a church and opportunities you can have to uh, join, uh, it's today. Day after church, immediately, uh, Grady and Julia's house over here in Sturbridge. Um, you can talk to Grady. He's right here afterwards, even if you're interested today. Um, there's still opportunity, a few spots left, if you want to go fellowship, have a wonderful lunch, and then to hear a little bit more about Gateway. So now I'm going to have Grady come up and introduce some folks. Thanks, CJ. It's good to see you, Gateway family. We get to introduce several of our new members this morning. So I want to call up Jeffrey, Caroline, Amanda, Chris, and Aaron. You guys come on up to the front here. It's not a scary group to look at. So come on down here. As they're coming forward, let me just remind you how membership works here. We take membership seriously. This is a, a covenant. It's a partnership to walk together in this journey of life. And so it begins with Discover Gateway, which is my house after the service today. 
after that and you get your questions answered. You meet one-on-one with an elder to get to share your testimony and talk about your experience of God's grace, get any further questions you have answered. Then it goes to you, the congregation, for approval since we are a congregational church. And then they stand before you here today to be introduced as new members. So I'm excited to introduce them to you and tell you a little bit about them. So let's start down here on this end. This is Chris Joyner. You saw Chris baptized last Sunday. And Chris, we're still rejoicing with you over that. So Chris is from Fairhope, Alabama. He has a 16-year-old son, Larson. He has a background in sales and is a sales and is a construction superintendent. In his free time, he likes saltwater fishing, going to the beach, reading, and working in the garden. And we are thrilled that you're a part of Gateway and plugged in in so many different levels. Chris, welcome to you. Next him right here is Amanda Green. She was raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and she moved here to Montgomery 11 years ago. She lives with Jeff and Jennifer Hand. She teaches 6th to 8th grade English in the Montgomery Public Schools, so has a special gifting and calling to work with middle schoolers in that. She loves being outside. She loves reading, and she loves traveling, especially road trips to the national parks. That is a great choice of use of time. Welcome to you, Amanda. This is Erin Harris, and so I almost call you by your, la- your previous maiden name, but so she and Parker got married how long ago? How many weeks back? A month ago? Yeah. Somewhere in that. So they got married about a month ago. And so, so Parker's already a, a, been a member for a while here, but Erin's joining with him now that they're newlyweds. Erin's from Homewood, where her parents and brother and sister still live. She works at Dogwood Media, a digital marketing company, and she takes care of their clients. She loves time and community. She especially loves hanging out on Seth and Megan's front porch. And so they live right next door to one of our elders here and his wife. And so they get to hang out in community there. She loves good food, being outdoors, hunting. Oh, my goodness, Parker, you've already like won her over there. So somehow you're like hunting now and dancing to live music. And I love what she wrote. I asked the new members, is there anything else you want people to know? And I'm just going to read this to you. This is great. She said, I'm thankful for how the church has welcomed me. And I look forward to getting to know you and serving alongside you. I love the description of the body of Christ in scripture. And I'm ready to take part in that together and live as members of one another. Romans 12, four and five says, now as we have many parts in one body, And all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. What a great perspective on being part of local church. Welcome to you. Next in here is Carolyn Kroll. She is from South Carolina, where most of her family still lives. So she has recently moved to Montgomery, um, and she lives here just with her and her sweet cat. She is a software developer and moved here because of her job. She enjoys hanging out with her friends, playing tennis, baking, and I'm sorry that Greg and Cecilia Teal are not here today, but she loves cheering on her Clemson Tigers. And so you, you should have heard the discussion in, in elder meetings as we're reviewing new members and Carolyn comes up and Greg's like, she's from Clemson and a Clemson fan. Yes to that automatically, right? So, so you have some advocates here. A fellow Clemson fan has finally joined the Teals here. So welcome to you, Carolyn. We're glad you're here. And last but not least down here then is Jeffrey Percival. He is from Pike Road, where his parents still live. His brother's over at Auburn. He works at Ream as a test engineer in their research and development for the tankless hot water division over there. He loves being outdoors. He works on cars, tractors, and boats, loves building things. And he said, quote, I'm excited to become a member of Gateway, and I look forward to meeting more of the church soon. And we're excited for people to get to know you also, Jeffrey. So thank you guys. We're going to return to your seat. We are excited that God has brought you to Gateway. And like CJ mentioned, if we have a few spots left for Discover Gateway today, we already have a great group coming, but there's a few spots left. So if you're interested in learning more about us, come catch me before the service is over. We'd love for you still to join us. CJ. 
All right, saints, let's stand and prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning through song. I'm going to read Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. And I was buried beneath my shame. But who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. And all my failures, I tried to hide. It was my tomb. Till I met you, you call my name, and I ran out that grave out of the darkness to your glorious day. You call my
great is the Lord.
the castle that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into
from Romans 3, 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this living hope. Thank you for putting forth your son as a propitiation to bear our unrighteousness and to give us his righteousness so that what was broken by sin in the garden can be restored through the second Adam, through the one who came to die. Lord, this is our living hope. This is the faith that we hold so dear. This is what drives our life. And Lord, it teaches us not to try and gain in this world, but to find you through surrender by taking up our cross and following you. And that means relinquishing the idea that we have any real control over anything. And we surrender to you, our God, our creator, our sustainer, our savior, and our redeemer. And as we come to a time to pray and ask for your grace, God, we do that in full surrender to your plan for us, both in your great and sovereign control over the entire universe and your loving care and being near to us. So Lord, we pray for our our Gateway Senior Adults. We pray uh, for them in this stage of life that you would give them opportunity to turn to you and to build community among uh, the people in this church, that they would point one another to you and bless one another and bear each other's burdens. God, we pray for the Montgomery Baptist Baptist Association food bus and Jeremy Lynch as he leads ministering to those in need in the river region. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to partner with them as they care care for the people who need it the most in this city, that we as disciples would give a cup of cold water to those in need. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to pray for other churches in our community. And this morning, we pray for Morning View Baptist and Pastor Sean Merrithew. Lord, we pray that that church would be a vibrant home for the gospel that people would bless one another there and bless their community by sharing your truth and your love with one another. And we pray also for your work as it continues to go across the kingdom. And specifically this morning, we wanna pray for a believer named Zane in the hills of Northwest India as he is discipling new believers who are Muslim among the Dogra people. We pray that in this environment that they would be bold to share their faith among that community. Lord, we know that you have given us all things. And so when we give back to you, either here in person or as we give online, we know that we are just returning a portion of what is yours. We pray that you, we, you would lead us to do this with cheerful hearts. 
And finally, we pray for Grady this morning. We are grateful for his leadership. We are grateful for his uh, opportunity to come and to share the word with us in the way that you have led him this week and really over the last several months as we're getting ready to embark on a new study of First Peter. We pray that you would speak through him and that your word would have its effect. Lord, we know that your word does not return void. And we pray that you would give Grady a sense of that as he preaches this morning, not in dependence upon himself or his abilities, but in dependence upon you, knowing that the word that he shares comes from you and will do its work. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first through fourth graders, you're coming with me over to Kids Worship. Uh, Parents, you can pick up your kids up in the gym after the service. Thanks, Jeff. Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's great to see you this morning. I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1. Yes, we are beginning a new study this morning, and I am so excited about it. We are setting aside an entire year to study 1 Peter. Yes, that's correct. These five chapters we will dig into over the next 50 weeks with a break for Christmas Sunday and Easter Sunday. So for the next 52 weeks, apart from Christmas and Easter, we'll be digging into the wonders of First Peter to go in depth in these amazing truths, verse by verse, and to unpack these glorious truths God has given to us. Now, if you've been around Gateway for, for a while, you know what to expect. Because we've done this with the Gospel of John, we've done this with Ephesians, we've done this with James, we've done this with some of the Psalms, so you're familiar with that. For the many of you who are new this past year, you've only seen what we've done, what we called rooted this past year, as we've looked at different scriptures each week to see the big picture of scripture. So what's going to be different from what we've been doing for the past year? Well, when we started the rooted study, I used a hiking analogy, a backpacking analogy, and I want to return to that to kind of help you see what we're going to do. As you know, I love being out in the woods and love going backpacking with the guys of the church and my own boys, like we love being out in the woods. What we've done for the past year would be a lot of what you might call day hikes. We've gone on a particular trail, we've gone down that trail, see what we need to see, come back to the trailhead, and the next Sunday we went down a different trail. Might have been Genesis one week, Isaiah the next week, Revelation the next. We were all over Scripture going down these individual trails week by week to see different things that we wanted to see from Scripture, to see who God is and who we are and how we relate to Him. And we did that for a reason, because we wanted to see the big picture of Scripture. We wanted to be anchored in what we believed in the great doctrines of the faith. And it was a good study for us. I'm thankful we did that. But today we're going to start a different approach. This is more like a long hike, not a day hike. Picture more the guys who hike the Appalachian Trail where they're on one trail for six months. That's what we're doing, but we're on the Appalachian Trail. We're in First Peter for a whole year. This is a 50-week hike for us as we dig into this one book of the year, exploring the wonders of it. Along the way, friends, we're going to see the nature of God, His attributes and His characteristics. We're going to see our identity as followers of Christ. We're going to see the reality of following Christ in this world. We're going to see the charge to have faith and the charge also to obey and how those weave together. We're going to see the charge to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel and the charge to put our hope in glory and eternity and how those weave together. We're going to see this calling to be separate from the world, but yet engage the world and how those come together. We're going to see all of that and so much more over the next year. But for all of that to make sense, we want to start at the foundation of the letter this morning to make sure we understand the context, to make sure we understand the reason it was written and what this letter is so all those things make sense. So this morning as we begin First Peter, it's kind of a foundation for us. We're going to look at four different questions about this book this morning. Number one, who wrote it? Second of all, who was it written to? 
Three, this may sound funny, but how did the letter get to them? And there's a reason for that. And number four, what did the author want the people to know? So who wrote it? Who did it go to? How did the letter get to them? And what did the author want them to know? Now, friends, as we look at those questions, I want to just say from the outset, this is not just like random historical trivia. There's not just things to go like, oh, wow, that's interesting how this letter was written in 64 AD and how it got to the people and here's who it went to. This is not just about history this morning. There are significant lessons for you and I in terms of how we pursue God and what faith looks like, even as we look at the foundation of this letter. So as we look at who the author is and who he wrote it to and how he got to them and what he wanted to know, friends, don't just check out and think, oh, this is history. Friends, this is the inspired word of God with lessons for you and I today. So as we read our text this morning, be looking for those things, not just the answers to those questions, but how does this shape my life and how I follow and pursue Christ? Now, this morning, as we begin the letter, we're going to do it just a little different than we're going to look at two verses, and they're not back to back. We're going to look at chapter 1, verse 1, then we'll go to the end of the book, near the end of the book, and go to chapter 5, verse 12, because those two verses together frame this book and show us who wrote the book who the recipients were, most important, it shows us why this book is so important. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, then chapter 5, verse 12. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, that we have the inspired and errant Word of God right before our eyes so we can see God's self-revelation. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now jump ahead to the end of the book, chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, to realize that you are a God who has not hidden yourself, but revealed yourself. Lord, I pray we would never lose awe with the thought that you have shown yourself to us, that you have made clear to us who you are, your nature, your attributes. And Lord, as we begin First Peter today, and we do this over the next year, Lord, I pray for my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, that you would stir our hearts to long for you more, that this would not just be an intellectual journey through a book of the Bible, but your Holy Spirit would take these truths and root them deep in our heart, and you would be drawing us close to yourself, conforming us to the image of Christ, that we might find the joy in walking closely with you, and you would get all the glory for what happens in our lives, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So four questions to help us understand the book. Let's dig into those. Number one, who wrote the letter. Now, the answer is pretty clear and pretty obvious from the title of the book and verse 1, but go back to verse number 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we are looking at a book written by the apostle Peter. This was the fisherman who became a disciple of Jesus. Peter learned about Jesus through his brother who believed first. John chapter 1, verse 40. If we go back to the beginning of John's gospel, you'll see Peter's calling. One of those two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Here it is, Simon Peter's brother, verse 41. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So we have Andrew introducing his brother, Simon Peter, to Christ. And what happens when Simon Peter meets Christ, verse 42, he follows and Jesus changed his name. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this letter we're reading was written by the guy who was a fisherman, whose brother said, come, I found the Messiah. He goes, he believes, and Jesus now calls him 
Peter. Not only did Simon Peter become one of Jesus' disciples, he became one of the three closest, the inner circle, if you will, of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the three who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He got to see Jesus in all of his glory there on the mountain. He was the one who was with Jesus in the garden the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is the same Peter who was so bold and quick to react. Same one who steps out of the boat walking to Jesus on the water and starts to sink. The same Peter who pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of a servant on the night that Jesus was arrested. This is the same Peter who had huge moments of faith. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, with this incredible profession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yet this is the same Peter who had huge moments of struggles in his faith. John chapter 18 Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. This is when Christ had been arrested. So he said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. I am not. So this is the Peter who had highs and lows in this life. And yet, despite it all, Christ pursued Peter. Jesus loved him, and Peter grew and matured in his faith as we see throughout the scriptures. And Jesus commissioned Peter to some important tasks. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32 Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, here's this commission, strengthen your brothers. So Christ has told Peter, your job is to strengthen other believers, to strengthen the brothers. Then in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. Verse, next verse. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And verse 7, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so Peter is given by Christ this commission to strengthen the brothers and to feed the sheep. And Peter obeyed Jesus' charge and commission, and God worked through him in many ways. This is the same Peter who had denied Christ as the one who at Pentecost preaches this amazing sermon, and 3,000 people come to believe. What we read in 1 Peter is part of him following that commission as well. 1 Peter is written to strengthen the brothers and sisters, and First Peter is written so that we may be built up in who we are in Christ, so we are fed the word of God. And friends, as we read this letter, realize that's what it's here for. It is to feed us the scriptures. It is to strengthen our faith. And as we read this, remember this Peter who wrote this was an eyewitness of Christ. He knew Jesus personally. He walked with Christ those years, and he knew the depths of his own sin, and he knew firsthand the experience of the grace of God. But one more thing about Peter's life we must not miss. Go back to verse 1 of our text today in chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, notice he begins his letter saying, I am an apostle of Christ. Now, what is an apostle? The apostles had a very unique role in the early church. They had the authority to bear witness for Christ. They had the authority to explain to people who Christ was and what it meant. Their authority was different than the pastors and elders and deacons of the church. They had an authority on par with the Old Testament prophets. And Peter begins his letter saying, I am an apostle of Christ. Now, why does he do that, friends? This is not him holding up his business card saying, hey, look at who I am and how great I am. He's not putting this here to serve himself. He's putting it here to serve you and I and the early readers as well. Notice he doesn't say, I'm an apostle. He said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's taking the focus beyond himself to Christ and what Christ has commissioned him 
to do. He says this to make sure we realize that what he writes are God's words to us, not his own words. He puts this here to remind us that what we're reading here is not Peter's will for how Peter wants you to live. He puts off this apostolic authority to remind us that this is God's will for how God wants us to live. He's reminding us of what we've seen before in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, that the Scripture is the breath of God, is inspired, it comes from God. And so Peter anchors us in the significance of what he writes, that these are the very words of God, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So who wrote this letter? Peter did. But he wrote it under what we call inspiration, that God is the one who inspired Peter, that God is giving us his words through Peter. And so, friends, it's so important as we begin this study or any time we open Scripture to remember that these are God's words to us. This is God's self-revelation. Hence, there's no errors in it. Hence, it is perfect. Hence, it is true. And, friends, hence, it is sufficient. Because we're reading the words of God and not just Peter's words, we have God's revelation. Everything you and I need for life and godliness is in Scripture. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. So who wrote it? Peter did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we are reading God's words given to us through Peter. Now, friends, before we move on, I mentioned these are not just nice historical trivia for us, but these truths should change our lives. So I have a question for us. As we look at this book or any book, believing that God worked through human authors, but they are inspired by God. Here's the question for us from this. Do we believe the scriptures are inspired and sufficient? Do we believe that the the book of 1 Peter, but anything we read when we open the Bible is inspired by God and sufficient? Because Peter saw this truth as significant enough to anchor his letter with this reminder that he is speaking not the words of men, but the words of God as an apostle of Christ. So do we believe that the scripture is God's word? Do we believe it is all we need? Well, friends, for most of us in this room, we would confessionally say yes. That'd be our confessional theology. Oh, yes, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Yes, I believe that the Bible is true. We might give the right answer, but friends, but when we look at our lives we might call our functional theology, our practical theology, what do our lives show about what we view Scripture to be? If we really believe we have here the voice of God, His very words, are we approaching it? Are we longing for it? Are we in all of it realizing it is God's Word? Do we read the Bible daily with expectation? Do we open it in all that God is speaking to us? And are we putting our lives under it in such a way? It's not just something we do once a week at church, but it's something that is shaping us and forming us all week long. Do we really act like we believe this is the Word of God and it is sufficient for all we need? Friends, one of my prayers for myself and for all of us as we go through 1 Peter this year is that God will remind us through it of how powerful his word is. And it would drive us to go beyond Sunday mornings to long for and read and dig into his word on our own all week long. Friends, do we believe the scripture is inspired and sufficient? So there's our first question of the morning. Who wrote the letter? Peter did under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's got much ramifications for us in understanding how we approach scripture. Second question. Who did Peter write this letter to? Who did Peter write this letter to? Go back to verse 1 of our text, and he tells us, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, let's just stop right there. This is a letter written to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, friends, when I mapped out 1 Peter, and CJ got to see some of the fun of this one, as we're mapping out 50 weeks on this, I was so tempted to spend a week on elect 
exiles and dispersion and do like four weeks on this opening verse. But I knew we would never get through the book if we went that slow that I want to. We could really, in all seriousness, do a sermon on each of those three words, elect, exiles, and dispersion. But let's pull all those together into this today. These are all terms that were being used for God's people in the Old Testament. Peter's beginning here saying, I am writing to fellow believers, people who are in the church who are God's people. Notice the terms. He says, to the elect. Some of your translations may say to the chosen. This is a term that many people cringe at or try to avoid today, but it is a rich term full of hope all throughout Scripture. The Scripture to be elect means to be the people chosen by God. When you see the word elect, it's the people chosen by God, the people that God initiated a relationship. When God pursued people lost in their sin and redeemed them and drew them to himself and chose not to leave them under his wrath and in sin, but to give them grace and mercy to you. It's a word that shows us the greatness of God and turning the hearts of sinful people. It's a word that shows us how big God is, and we're going to explore that more in verse 2 next week. But realize at the outset, when you see this word here, this means that Peter is writing to believers. This is not primarily an evangelistic letter that was written to help non-believers come to faith in Christ. This was a letter given to believers to, remember his commission, to strengthen the brothers, to feed the sheep. This is what Peter is doing here. He's writing with believers in view. This is a discipleship letter to show believers who God is and how to know him and how to live their lives accordingly. It's written to the elect, to believers. He also, though, says this is written to the elect exiles. Again, some of your translations may say aliens or strangers. There's all Old Testament imagery about the Jewish people when they were far from their homeland. And because they followed God when they were far from their homeland, they found themselves at odds with the surrounding culture. Their lives were different. They thought differently. They talked differently. They lived differently than the culture around them. So they were aliens. They were strangers. They were different than those around him. And so Peter's reminding them that as you follow Christ, you're not going to be like the world around you. Your life is going to be different and be ready for that. We are to be different in the world. So we're God's people who are different in the world. And that last word, he says, of the dispersion, of the scattered people, the dispersed people. Again, in Israel's history of the diaspora, the dispersion, were the people who were scattered away from Jerusalem, away from Israel. Now, there's a lot of debate on this letter. Does this mean that he was only writing to Jewish Christians? And different people have different interpretations on this. I don't think it means it was just to the Jews. There's a lot of terminology he uses in here that you would normally not apply to people with Jewish background. You normally apply to people of pagan backgrounds. But wherever you land on that, he's writing to believers who are scattered around the world. Believers who are united in Christ no matter where they find themselves in the world. So who did Peter write to? Elect exiles of the dispersion. The original audience of this letter was in a specific region. Look at what comes next. This is 64 AD. He had particular Christians in view here. Those who were elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Friends, these five names represent four Roman provinces at the time in 64 AD when this was written. This was a huge area. It's where modern-day Turkey would be today. It's an area they would stretch from California to Texas. If you want to try to get it in your map in your head, these are Christians in this massive region. So why is he writing to the Christians in this region? Well, friends, because they were a very small minority of Christians in a very lost area, and they were facing hardships for following Christ. We said they were already exiles. They were strangers. They were different than the world. And so they found themselves at odds with the world, and they were persecuted for their faith. And so he writes to believers who find themselves in a culture that does not understand them, and he writes to strengthen their faith to help them. And though Peter did not know this was coming soon, and though these early believers did not, this letter comes just a few years before Emperor Nero takes the throne at Rome 
because the mass persecution of Christians that happened in that period. And so God in his grace is preparing those young believers in this area of modern-day Turkey for the intense persecution that is to come so they understand how to follow God even when life is hard. Peter writes to them to feed them, to strengthen them. And friends, (coughs) if you are the people of God, if you know Christ, this letter is not just for them, it's for you. Because we find ourselves as people who are chosen by God, who are strangers in the world, who are different than the world, and God has called us to follow him and to love the world around us, even though we are different from the world around us. So this is for us, to help us follow Christ as well. So who is Peter writing to? God's people on this journey of life. Again, before we go on, friends, there's a lot in that truth that should challenge us. And here's what I want to ask you in light of that. Are our lives different from the world because we know that we belong to God? Are our lives different from the world because we belong to God? What Peter just said, you are elect exiles of the dispersion. Again, there's, you preach sermons just on those phrases. He's anchoring the people not just in, you're, you're a follower of Christ, good for you. He's saying, you are chosen by God. You belong to God, and God is transforming you. God is changing you, and your lives should be different because of that. Friends, when we look at who we are and if we take time to slow down and do some self-examination and ask, what is my identity? Who am I? Friends, is our identity rooted in what the world finds its identity in or is our identity rooted in, rooted in I belong to God? And if so, friends, how is that changing us? Peter's writing to people who are in hard situations and it's only about to get harder and he anchors them in this. You are God's people. You belong to God. Let that be your identity. Friends, is it God's, is it our identity as well? So who wrote it? Peter wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Who did he write it to? God's people, particularly God's people who are facing hardships because they're different than the world. Question number three, how did he get it to them? Yeah, that may seem like a strange question, but how did he get the letter to them? There was no FedEx, there was no UPS, and thankfully there was no USPS either, which might be a good thing. But there was no big major delivery companies to get the letters out. So how in the world did you get your letter to people? He's in Rome. They, scholars believe he's in Rome in 64 AD at this point. And he's trying to get to this region in Turkey over here. There's a mass region of 750,000 square miles. And to get it to dozens of churches in this region far over here, how did you get your letter? Well, you gave out someone to hand deliver it. And so that's exactly what happens here. He finds a trusted believer to take the letter. So now go to chapter 5, verse 12 here. And notice what he says. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written to you. Now we'll just stop right there. He says, I've written to you by Sylvanus. Now, friends, this has been misunderstood over the years. You may have heard it taught that Sylvanus was his amanuensis who helped him write it and get the Greek cleaned up. And friends, there's nothing in this text that indicates Sylvanus helped him write the letter. There's nothing in church history that indicates that this was actually had a co-author helping him. Rather, this phrase means Sylvanus was the one who took the letter to the churches. That's why he has to commend him. Sylvanus was just behind the scenes going, that's the wrong Greek word there, fisherman Peter. And I, there would be no need to commend him. But Peter commends him to the believers, and he says he's a faithful brother as I regard him. Why would he say that? Because Peter's not going to these churches. Sylvanus is. And Sylvanus is going saying, this is from Peter. And they read it, and they go, oh, Sylvanus is a faithful brother. We'll listen to his explanation things. We'll listen to him explain this to us. So he's showing us that Sylvanus was a trusted one who delivered this letter to the faraway place. Now, friends, this is not the first time Sylvanus has done this for church leaders and for the church. He did so in Acts. Acts chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. 
This is the time of the Jerusalem council as they were working with how to relate to the Gentile believers. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch. So they're going to send a letter here from the church leaders in Jerusalem. And here's who's going to go take the letter. With Paul and Barnabas, they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas. Now, Silas is just a different variation of Silvanus. It's the same person, same name. It's just written different ways at different times. So they sent Silvanus here, some of the leading men among the brothers. So here you have this guy, Silas or Silvanus. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church, and he was sent to deliver this. They sent the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch. Greetings. And so here Silvanus in Acts is delivering a letter on the apostles' behalf. And here he is, if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he is now delivering this as well to, to the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so what Peter has to say is so important to feed the sheep, to strengthen the brothers. He takes one of the most trusted church leaders and he sends him with this letter and says, take this to these churches in this region. So who took the letter? Silvanus. So, friends, again, there's truth in that for us. And not just like, oh, that's nice that there was a friend who took the letter. There's a lesson for us in that as well. And here's my question for us. Do we have other believers who we are in friendship with and serving alongside? Do we have other believers around us who we are linking arms with for the sake of the gospel and working together? Peter's saying, I love these churches, but I can't go. And someone goes, I'm going to go on your behalf. You have friendships of people working together. Friends, Peter was not isolated. Peter was in community with trusted friends in the church who he worked alongside. If you go to chapter 5, verse 13 of, our, of the verse beyond our text for today, Notice what he says. She who is at Babylon, this is a reference to the church in Rome where he is at times. The church in Rome who is likewise chosen sends you greetings as does Mark, my son. So here you have Peter in the church community in Rome with John Mark who wrote Mark's gospel with Silvanus and other church leaders and they are working together to feed the sheep. They are working together to strengthen believers. And so he sends Silvanus to go take this letter and encourage the churches and prepare them where they are. Friends, are we in community like that where we're sharing our lives with each other, where we're finding joy helping one another take the gospel to people, where we're working together to make Christ known? So who wrote the letter? Peter did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Who he sent it to? These believers in this region, but to any Christian who finds themselves trying to walk with Christ in a hard world. And how do you get it to them? Through Christian community through Silvanus and other friends who, who took this letter to them. So last question, friends, what did Peter want the believers to know? What did he want them to know? Look at chapter 5, verse 12. He said, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, notice this, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So he says, I've written this letter to you, and what follows this, this verb, I have written, are two participles, exhorting and declaring. And this tells us why he's writing and what he's, and what he's doing in the writing, to exhort it's to charge someone and how they're to live. He's exhorting them. He's telling them what their lives should be like, friends. And as we work through this book this year, you will see this book is full of commands, full of imperatives. As he's saying, follower of Christ, this is God's will for how you live in a hard world. But friends, these commands flow from something even more foundational. There's not just exhortations here. There are declarations here as well. To declare something is to communicate truth, to communicate things that are true, facts, to communicate doctrine, teaching of who God is and God's will and who we are. So this book is going to combine exhortations, here's God's will for how you're to live, with doctrine, with truth of this is who we are, this is who 
Christ is. And when we look at the whole book together, it says in verse 12, this is the true grace of God. This, the entire letter, everything's written from chapters 1 to 5 is the true grace of God. Grace being God's undeserving, God's kindness to undeserving people like us. So the whole book, chapters 1 through 5, is God's kindness to undeserving people like us. So we would know who God is. So we will know how to follow him. So we know what his will is for us, even when life is hard and we're suffering and struggling and trials. My friends, notice something here. Peter was not just interested in imparting information to them. This is not just a knowledge intellectual thing for Peter. He wanted this to change them. And so he ends verse 12 with a charge here. He says, I've given you exhortations. Here's how you live. I've given you declarations. This is who God is. I've put them together. <coughs> and all this together is the true grace of God. Now, here's your responsibility when you hear this word. Stand firm in it. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. Peter says, stand firm in the grace of God. Stand firm in the exhortations I have given you. Stand firm in the declarations I have given you. He's saying, focus on and remember these declarations. Focus on and remember the truths of who God is here and remain committed to who God is, even if it costs you everything. He says, stand firm in the exhortations. Stand firm in the commands I give to you, even when the world around you does not understand, when the world around you mocks you, when the world around you even kills you for doing these things. Stand firm in these exhortations as well. Be a people who are a people of the grace of God. So kind of our theme for this whole study this year is stand firm in the grace of God. And you've heard me say it before, when we talk about the grace of God, there's two things we must keep in view. God's saving grace, this undeserved kindness that he made us his elect exiles of the dispersion, his saving grace that he looked upon sinners like us who are unworthy and turned our hearts to himself. But when we talk about his grace, it's not grace that saves us. Now we can go live however we want to live. God's grace is also transforming grace. That God loves us too much, just leave us where we are. He saves us, we don't deserve it, but then he grabs us and he starts turning us and sanctifying us and transforming us more to be like Christ. So when we see here, stand firm in the true grace of God. It's stand firm in knowing who God is. Stand firm in knowing you are a child of God and stand firm in how you're being transformed by God's grace working in you. So friends, what is the truth for us, the lesson for us in this main idea of the book? And here it is. Do we long to grow in knowing God and living for him? Do we long to grow in our knowledge of God? Do we long to study his word? Do we long to go deeper in our knowledge of him? But friends, do we also long to grow in holiness? Do we long to see the word of God changing us and breaking sin patterns in our lives so we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ? And friends, and do we long to help each other do that? So we've seen over and over, friends, we are not made to be isolated. We're not made just for a me and Jesus journey through this life. We are in community like Peter was. And we need each other to speak the truth and love to us to help us grow in standing firm. Friends, do we long together to grow in knowing God and in living for him? So let's bring all that together. That's a lot for one morning. But here's the main idea of 1 Peter 1, 1 and 5, 12. If we want a quick summary of all we've seen, this is it. God gave us 1 Peter so we would understand God's grace and live lives transformed by it, even when life is hard. I believe God has given us the book of 1 Peter so we would grow in knowing the true grace of God. 
the grace that saves us and the grace that transforms us, the true grace of God, that we would understand it, that we would, as we study this book, our knowledge of who God is, our knowledge of the glories of his grace would just leave us in awe and wonder. But friends, it would not stop there. It would transform us. It would radically change our lives. It would change how we talk to one another. Friends, I'm convinced this is what I need. I'm convinced this is what we need as a church body because we all need to be reminded over and over again of God's grace. We need to be challenged over and over again to see God's grace changing us. And we need to be reminded when life is hard that it is worth following Jesus regardless of the cost. And so my prayer for us as we begin this study is the Holy Spirit will use this book in each of our lives, in our families, with our kids, with our friends, in our small groups here to grow us in understanding the true grace of God that we might grow in our intentionality of helping each other stand firm in it so we are ready to follow Christ, whatever the cost. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you've given us your word. And Lord, as we start this journey, I'm particularly grateful you've given us the book of 1 Peter, that the Holy Spirit took Peter and inspired him to write these God-given words to us, that, Lord, we might know you more and know more of your grace. And Lord, I pray in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters that you would grow us in understanding the true grace of God. Lord, even this week, you would remind us over and over of your saving grace and that, Lord, we would worship you in response. We would rejoice in response to knowing that we are saved by your grace. But, Lord, I pray you would not leave us just there, but you'd remind us all this week of your transforming grace, that, Lord, your plan is not just to save us and let us go live how we want to live, but your plan is to make us more and more like Christ on this journey to heaven. So, Lord, I pray this week we would all experience your transforming grace, growing us and sanctifying us, and that we find a lot of joy in that journey of you working in our lives this week. Lord, I pray for myself and for each one of us, Lord, so we would be a people who would stand firm in the true grace of God, where there's so much that comes against us, temptations, Lord, pressures to conform, where so much comes against us to create doubt and sin in our lives. Oh, Lord, by your Holy Spirit working in us and taking the word of God and applying it to our hearts, I pray you would anchor us even this week in being a people who stand firm in the grace of God by your Holy Spirit working within us. And yet, Lord, as we think about this, Lord, we're reminded that all around us is a world in need of the gospel. You have in our schools, in our office places, in our neighborhoods, even in strangers we meet, people who have yet to experience the joy of your saving grace, the joy of your transforming grace. And so, Lord, even as we're strangers in this world this week, Lord, help us love well the people you have put in our lives. We might point them to the true grace of God that we are standing in. And we will give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
Before I pray for us, you just take a minute where you're standing, just offer up a prayer to the Lord of what we've just sung, thinking about his attributes, praising him that he is the great I am. Just take a minute and praise him for who he is. Now, would you take a minute to not only thank him for his grace, but to ask him to help you stand firm in it this week? Father, you have heard the prayers of your people. What an incredible thought to know that you can hear every prayer of everyone in the world because you're so big and so infinite, so powerful, so all-knowing. 
Lord, I pray this week we would grow in awe of knowing you are the great I am, that you would give us grace upon grace to stand firm in that truth this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you need prayer, I want some of our elders to be available to pray with you. I see Seth up here. If he wants to come down the front, CJ's already over here. Guys, if you need prayer to stand firm in the grace of God this week, come find CJ, come find Seth, come find me. We have other elders scattered around the room. We'd be happy to talk to you. God bless you, and have a great Sunday afternoon.